I'm kind of interested in the anime red flag, so I do hope we get to it. Okay. Yeah. Have you heard this is? Oh no, I'm not going to go down this. I'm not going to derail the show immediately. No, go ahead. We it, need an you have TikTok mention here. I was just going to ask if yeah. you heard the new TJ Maxx single. No, no. Chica's in my DMs. No. no. Okay. All right. I'm not going to do it to you. Yeah. <laughs> we need an opener, but the, not that opener. Not that. Not that opener. No. Um, it's catchy as hell, though. Yeah. You know, maybe I should just open with the, the anime red flags then. Sure. I don't, have we ever opened with a Moogle? I usually try to put it in the back half. I feel like it's been entire episodes. Like, well, sure. Yeah, but that's usually. To- that's usually whenever I'm just like spitballing, oh, you know, yeah, that's whenever yeah. I'm on, I'm on my bullshit, you know? Um, but yeah, I guess we could do it. Uh, hey, what's up? It's Dead and Rush Show, episode 93. Oh, is it 92 or 93? I think last week was 92. Okay. I was going to say, I think this is 93. We're making the slow crawl towards 100. Yeah. Can we? I, I, that has been a lingering thought can we just, in my head. Can we just have 100 just be a normal episode? I Something about podcast anniversary episodes kind of turned me away. Yeah. They feel like I, self-congratulatory. I think for us especially, it would be very presumptuous. What, just getting there? To, to oh. like do something like that. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we don't have the kind of reach where it's like, oh, let me compile a best of, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't want to go through the trouble of doing that. No, and then you're just like reusing like content. It's just, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. But after 100, I probably will force a new season. Oh, what season so are we like in now? that. This is currently season three, technically. Season three. Yeah, so I will probably just flip it over and do season four. Did I start doing this since as season one, or did I come in later? I think, yeah, I think that was technically still season... No, maybe that was season two. Okay. Yeah, and then I began season three when you left the first time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or I guess, no, I guess that was you leaving the second time. Wait, I didn't leave more. I only left one time, didn't I? Yeah, you did. You did. Behind the scenes, you left twice. Oh, that's that's very true. But on, but on the show, you left only once. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, and so then, yeah, me doing the show on my own was the beginning of season I've had three. to. I've had to regain your trust. Yes. Yes. Still waiting for you to do the Facebook page. Um. Still waiting on that. Yeah. There's no excuse. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of one just there. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing came to yeah. mind. I wouldn't bring it up. It's just that you offered to do it. Yeah. You handed over access. <laughs> I think I even talked it up on the show a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was going to correspond. Yeah. You, you had all these ideas about, you know, like, yeah, there's this audience there and like all this shit. Yeah. That's right. The built in audience. Yeah. 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 Maybe for the new season. <laughs> sure uh-huh need like a need a, a jumping off point you know yeah i feel like you said that exact phrasing before i can't remember what it was what episode was going to be the jumping off point well that just didn't feel right sure you know it's, it's a, it it's a feel you, thing it, it wasn't that you completely forgot no was, no not yeah. at all I'm, I'm very it was vibes based i'm professional yeah yeah uh it's all vibes based when it comes to this show that is true. Yeah, that is true. Anyway, um, it's time for the show's favorite segment. Did it all for the Moogle. Great. Uh, this is the show where I frequently talk about JRPGs and sometimes anime or other kind of uh, adjacent media that I want to talk about. And uh, sometimes it does take up whole episodes of the show because... 
sometimes I have to talk about Final Fantasy 14 for an hour and a half. It's just what happens. Uh, but on this occasion, so I don't use TikTok as we've discussed a lot. And but what happens is uh, sometimes you will send me a TikTok. Mm -hmm. And when I open it, what happens is TikTok sends me first to the for you page. Then it opens the TikTok that you sent me and I watch whatever that is. And then I have to respond to you. And then I close the TikTok. <laughs> that sounds like me. such an obligation. A lot of times it is because there was the one day you sent me like six or eight of them. Oh, that's such no, no way. I could scroll back up and count it them was if three I really had max. to. It was three no, max. It was, it was not. It was more than three. It was more than three. It was excessive. Um, and I kind of want see. I kind of want you to look back because okay. I, I really think it's three. This is I, not okay, good audio. Right. I know that. No, it's not. I, I will sit down. here in silence. Looks like it was four. Was it? Yeah. Had to have been a couple, you four know, you know, miles, right? I don't want to open them again. I almost sent you a, you know, miles karaoke uh, video last night. It was very good. Aren't all TikToks karaoke videos because they put the text on the screen? Is that, that's not the only stipulation of, of karaoke. This is like an actual like karaoke setting and someone got up and did, you know, miles mm, and in the, okay. in the comments, they called him, um, cause he was white. They called him, uh, it wasn't the grandma song, was it? No, it was four wheeler classic. Okay. Classic. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. someone in the comments, Wait, isn't that the, that's the grandma one. Oh, there's so many. Like, I feel like we're, we're completely off the rails now, but hold on. Oh, his grandmother called him a, yeah, 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 yeah. And he, he very respectfully did not use the, you know, well, you'll, you'll, you'll hear it. My grandma just called me a fucking nigger. I don't know why she mad, so I had to hit her. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a choice for karaoke. Yeah, it is. Um, wait, can I send you the? Oh God, let me see. I just like that someone in the comments called this kid, uh, you know, kilometers. Jesus. Wait, here we go. Did you text it to me? <laughs> How am I gonna play this on the podcast? <laughs> I have TikTok on my phone. I don't know. What, am I gonna email it to you? Discord, you dingus. It's on my computer. There's a disconnect. I don't have it. How am I supposed to play this on the podcast? Okay, give me a second. Do you have your email open? <laughs> I'm, I can. I'm on the computer. Just install Discord on your phone. Well, that would take even longer. Um, you know what? I mean, in general. Let me find it. Hold on. Oh, <laughs> I was trying to see what um, what TikTok account this video came from. And uh, it's from Unomile. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. All right, let me do a search for it now. <laughs> Here we go. This is this is this is not how I wanted this episode to go. <laughs> you said you needed an opener. I know. Here we go. Pandora's box. Oh, TikTok, I hate you so much. Why would I want it to start playing muted? Like my grandma just called me up. I don't know why she's mad, so I had to hit her. While my cousin looking for his four wheeler. I just had to get me some water and some sugar. Uh, you don't got enough tissue in here? Why your cool car only go up to the first gear? I feel like DC Young Fly bring that here. Wasn't this, yeah. wasn't this so worth it? It's like, I don't want him to have said it, obviously, right? Because this might be one of the whitest people of all time. Yeah, for sure. 
Because I think he's wearing cowboy boots under those jeans. No, you never say um, it. But the fact that it's the first line of the song maybe makes you think he should have chosen a different Una Miles song. Exactly. Like because there's, it's the first line yeah. and it rhymes. It's the rhyme. You know, it's the rhyme. I don't want him to say it. Yeah, like you could have gone like with Frederick Douglass. You could have gone with like that holiday song. He Indiana came out Jones. With. Indiana Jones. There's a wealth. There's a whole back catalog. Yeah. Um, you're right. There's a there's a comma here. It says he missed some parts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway. Um. So yeah. So I don't I don't use TikTok. I I don't like the platform. But whenever you send me a TikTok. Uh, after I'm done watching the TikTok, it sends me back to the For You page. Mm-hmm. And so then sometimes I, I just see whatever's there. And I saw a TikTok. I didn't save it because I don't really know how that operates on the platform. What do right? you I don't mean? Know, I don't know bookmarking. I don't know You just whatever. like, you like it but, or you bookmark it and either one will save it. No, 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 no. Here's So here's the thing. So everything is so ephemeral on there. So like, it's just, it's like a fucking like lotto it's like pulling the slot machine right where you just kind of keep going you keep scrolling so i watched it and then i just kind of kept scrolling for a while and then only afterwards i was like you know what that probably would have been good uh discussion material it sounds like you need to have better judgment in the moment that's you don't blame the platform for that no i do because that is the that is the uh the habit it creates. I saved this karaoke song for the show i had no problem doing that last night no you didn't you had to look it up well, no, I, I sent it to you from my saved videos, but I texted it and that wasn't good enough for you. It's not good so enough for I me. How to, was I going to play it on the podcast? I don't know. Copy, paste. Copy and paste from my phone? And you could like email it to yourself or something. There's plenty of ways. What year is it? 2005? <laughs> anyway, my point is I don't have the TikTok here, but I will explain the TikTok to oh, you. Oh, that sounds rough. This is the oral tradition. <laughs> 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 So in the TikTok, the girl is saying, I want to create the most uh, like I want to uh, attract the worst possible dudes on. Um, I think it was it was either Hinge or Bumble possible. Mm-hmm. And so she's trying to craft the worst dating profile possible. Well, that's fun. And this is actually good. This is actually good because it was a purely visual TikTok anyway. So I would have just had to relay all this information to you anyway. Um, and so she puts uh, like the the standard old red flags like uh my favorite movies fight club uh uh infinite jest you know all those old all those old jokes right then for whatever reason she says my favorite anime and she proceeds to list literally all of my favorite shows uh-oh evangelion uh evangelion uh monogatari oh geez serial experiments lane welcome to the nhk um paranoia agent boogie pop phantom like like these are like deep cuts they they really are i don't understand these are deep cuts and i'm like i would have figured like attack on titan or something would be the the way to go and i'm like what the fuck is going on here so this sent me on a little bit of a spiral yeah thinking like you're a red flag yeah so it just kind of it caused a little bit of introspection where I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? Or is this just like purely bait to get a bunch of dudes to say, well, what's wrong with any of those? Like you're doing right now. <laughs> like I'm doing right now. But here's the thing. So we've touched briefly on some of the more um, iffy aspects of people that are into Serial Experiments Lane. We talked about that Lane cult 
like last year. Yeah. Remember? Mm -hmm. uh, and people that use lane profile pictures to be like pretend to be like very edgy dudes. So like that one I can get. And that and that even one I can there see. it's appropriation. It has nothing to do with the actual of show itself. Of course. Uh, Monogatari people weirdly unfairly label as quote unquote. And I saw this in the comments of the TikTok, an incest show uh, based off of one like gag scene that became a meme um well which i'm not going to defend i'm not going to defend by the way sure it's but weird, it, it's a weird scene if it became a meme then it's likely a lot of people's only encounter with the show and so that's kind of right, what which they is where it's it labeled yeah. the incest show sure. whenever there are actually like incest anime sure oh yeah we've i think we've actually we've actually we've actually talked we about have. a couple yeah. at least mm -hmm. uh citrus comes to mind yes um and so so yeah so this just kind of made me just like okay so it's like is is it like are these shows pretentious is that is that what is that what it's being labeled as like you can't necessarily say that like these any of these are on the level of like the dude with the copy of Infinite Jest right or even Fight Club or Fight such Club such a such a cliche you know yeah no cuz like cuz cuz like these anime are like like art house essentially right. and so they are not in the like if if you were to find their like their you can't put film equivalents they would not line up with like a fight club that's way too mainstream way too like I have notes. never seen another soul talk about ergo proxy right except for me when I talked about it in our last episode uh-huh <laughs> or two episodes or two episodes ago uh -huh. right and you could say I'm a hipster or whatever. I'm not. I watched the show for the first time in 2015 and it came out in like, I don't know, 2002 or some shit. Um, but like, it's just, just nobody knows what that is. You know, it's like the slowest fucking show you've ever seen. Um, and actually, the only one that was on this list that uh, like was not like literally the only show that I uh, like don't consider one of my favorites was Monster, which was that uh, serial killer anime that I briefly mentioned on the show, like also probably last year uh, that I fell off of because it was just too slow, uh, slow moving for me. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people are really into that one. So that, that was probably like the most mainstream show on the list. Um, but yeah, it's just like you're dropping these deep cuts and it's just like, what 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 is going on here? Yeah, I think you're putting too much weight on one person's little idea here, right? This is one yeah. person's video. This is not representative of like, although it does bother me a bit that because like Infinite Jest and Fight Club, that's very on the nose. Yeah, those are like the old standbys. Those you might as jokes. well have said Pulp Fiction as well. That that she might have had that also as in the movies. Yeah, you know, like yeah, um, yeah. It's like old, it's the old college dorm room posters, right? Yeah, it's you know, uh. Who has the serial experiments lane poster in their dorm room? Right. Right. So I don't know. I, like, like I'm probably putting too much fucking stock into a 25 second long TikTok. That's what I mean. Yeah. But it's concerning. But this, like, it, yeah, it just it just like precisely nailed so directly. Who the fuck talks about Welcome to the NHK? I never see anybody talk about that show. Well, also, this video, I don't know how popular it was, but like... I don't either. It found 
it's way onto your for you page probably because of those animes anime I don't know, the plural of animes is animes i'm not sure it, it's like vinyl yeah okay it's the plural of anime is anime yeah um uh it, but you know what i'm saying right like it found its way specifically to you because of that i i, I don't necessarily yeah that's the other thing about tiktok that's so creepy because like i'm not actually even like engaging in anime content on there mm-hmm. and for it to precisely have a tiktok that has defined my taste in anime to such a hyper degree where if I needed to list out my top five, it has that like right there, you know? I'd say that's on its own is more concerning than you potentially being a red flag. It's all concerning. It's all concerning. None of it's good. I Honestly, like wouldn't the red flag anime be like the the incest one, the the teacher one, you know, like the other teacher one, the other incest. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's plenty. I mean, it's 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 a it's a a medium that has received a lot of criticism for many different reasons. So it's hard to really. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just I just thought it was a, a, a weird occurrence. Well, you're a moderator on OkCupid, so I think you're fine. I don't have an account on there anymore. <laughs> I encountered that real life anime woman and I was out. <laughs> nothing more to do with it anyway um we have some high art to talk about <laughs> we uh back in i guess it was august back in august uh for our book club we picked infinite Yellow chest Face, our, well, i'm sorry yeah the, yep yep um you know what's bad is that i do have a copy of infinite chest see that's not something you should have admitted immediately after that last segment but i'm an i was an english major so it was assigned? I think it's, I mean, certain David Foster Wallace was assigned. But not that one in particular. I think segments of it were. Okay, questionable, questionable. I think that shit is overblown. It has that uh, stigma because it's like a big book and dudes wanted to seem impressive by owning a big book. Are you defending Infinite Jest now? As a book? For sure. Have you read it? No, have you? Yeah. Well, then, okay, so then maybe you do have reason to be concerned. Do you, do you even know the... Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the, it, the reason why that joke started was not because of, like, any of the content of the book. It was because dudes wanted to seem impressive and that they were, like, worldly or intelligent. Well, right now you're talking about how you own a copy and how you've read the book and all this stuff, so... Well, because I just looked over and I was like, oh, I, I do see my copy of Infinite. Oh, you've got it on display, do you? Uh, I put books on a bookshelf. It's not like on display. It was that that was the joke though. Was that remember what was that show on FX? Um about dating. Um there that doesn't narrow it down very much. I know, I know it doesn't, but uh Eric Andre was on it. Um oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Man Seeking Woman. Yeah, that was it. So like they that was the bit on the show was that he put the copy of Infinite Jest on his nightstand. Mm-hmm. But he hadn't read it, of course. But it was like, oh yes, like I I, I read very large books very intelligent books i think the modern equivalent is that tiktok trend where the guy's like where have i placed my feminist literature books exactly yeah, yeah exactly yeah but it's n- it's not the content of infinite jest itself well you would know because you've read it yeah <laughs> i just i just do think it's like kind of funny to criticize a and didn't book. you say that fincher used to be like your favorite filmmaker he was up there I actually don't like, like, Fight Club is, like, one of his weaker works. By one of your favorite filmmakers, though. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Things are just starting to add up a little bit. Seven's very good. Mm-hmm. Panic Room. Oh, yeah. Terrific, terrific movie. Social Network. 
Oh, yeah. A, a film. Girl that... with a dragon tattoo. Uh-huh. Gone Girl. Yes. Like, it's kind of, Mank. You know... Don't forget Mank. I never saw Mank. Oh, Mank's very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, his Netflix show that got canceled. Oh, um, Mindhunter. Yeah. Yeah. You just... You, you're checking off a lot of boxes from this TikTok video is all I'm saying. I, I don't like Fight Club. I really, really vehemently dislike Tarantino. You know what's funny, though, is that the girl in the TikTok had a Lane shirt. Okay, so I like, mean, that that explains a lot. So these are probably all anime that she likes as well. I mean, it's it, it's it's a bit. At the end of the day, it's a bit. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, well, what do you, what's the, what's the goal here? Sure. What's What's going on? Maybe anime itself for her was the red flag, and she was just listing off the ones that she knows. Maybe. That's a very specific taste. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I just like how you're trying to make now make me... Some kind of closeted creeper or something. Well, no, I'm just ultimately I'm kidding. Yeah. I didn't realize. I mean, you have a copy of Infinite Jest sitting by you as you record. So I didn't, you know, I thought it was. It's because, well, it's because my room's small. <laughs> I'm near my bookshelf. Oh, the room's small and the book is so huge. Well, it is. <laughs> it is. It's in the, the spine has the text in bold letters. <laughs> So, yeah, it was oh, like, what, man. five months ago that we announced this book club pick? Yeah, it was back in August, and uh, I, I finished it this morning. Same. <laughs> I, I really, it was like I was back in college. I put it off until the last minute, did the reading. Crunching. Um, yeah, I just really needed a deadline, you know, to actually just like, you know, get it done. Because it it's a very easy, quick read. Oh, all yes. things considered. Oh, the the pacing. All considered. It's a page turner. Yeah, it could not be a, a better flowing novel. Like it's just it's hard to put down in a way, but like that doesn't change the fact that it took us this long to get here. Yeah, I've talked about it before. Where the deeper I'm into a current uh, project for uh, Dead and Road Publishing, the harder it is for me to currently keep up with reading which is just feels antithetical but that's just how it how it works mm-hmm. um and it's kind of the same for like actually like podcasting too like the like ever since like i started doing weekly episodes uh i don't listen to nearly as many podcasts as i used to and i practically don't really listen to them much anymore it's just, it's just kind of the same thing um you just find less time to enjoy or keep up with the the media in that industry that you're actively working in it's it's just a it's kind of like a seesaw like act where it's just up and down uh like consuming or creating in that space i guess yeah the one pushes out the other but yeah uh finally uh finally finished it finally read it oh wait no i i totally like um just like hijacked your intro so what is the book again uh yes yes right we were trying to um Turned me into some red-pilled weirdo or something. Um, yeah, so Yellowface by R.F. Kuang uh, is a novel about um, a a sort of struggling writer who is our narrator who uh, has a has a, another writer friend who they went to school with and who is very successful. Uh, is a successful uh, Chinese American writer who sort of shot up to stardom while they were still kind of in school. Uh, and she's very jealous of that, that writer friend and her success. And while she's struggling after her first book flopped and, uh, 
she kind of doesn't really uh, feel like they're actually like friends. They're just kind of friends for appearances and because they went to school together and she doesn't really feel like she gets anything out of their friendship. And in the first chapter, uh, she sort of goes to her apartment after I forget. I forget the circumstances of why specifically. I think I think they were celebrating some kind of success. Yeah, that yeah, that the successful uh, writer uh, Athena had and uh, Athena ends up dying in her own apartment that night. Um, And uh, the struggling writer who's I forget June, right? Yes. uh, Yes. June, Junie, Juniper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Takes her unfinished manuscript for the book she was working on and uh, adds a little bit of her own to it, rewrites some stuff, and passes it off as her own work. And that's sort of the impetus for the rest of the novel. And that manuscript is heavily, um, heavily focused on Chinese American history and Chinese history. Yeah, it's concerning a, uh, a the use of Chinese laborers by I, be- I believe the British mostly, or and, and also Canada, I think, mm-hmm. uh, during World War One. Uh, and so it, it's very hyper focused on like this slice of history uh, to this like unknown. Chinese experience uh and June is a, a white woman uh and Athena was ch- Chinese American uh and so that obviously with the book being titled Yellowface we're dealing with a lot of uh racial dynamics uh the earlier parts of the book we'll get the whole thing but m- the earlier parts of the book deals head on with like oh well who can publish what kind of story who has the right to tell what kind of story um and obviously plagiarism, you know, is a, is a main focal point throughout the entire uh, book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, throughout uh, it, it just touches on. So like there are so many just little like lines to talk about the publishing industry as a whole. Yeah, right. Because like its main focus is privilege and um ownership of a story and authenticity and all these things but it also just by the way of how the story unfolds is it takes you through all the little nuances and the steps of the publishing industry and 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 you know everything from agents to uh you know um book tours and and social media and marketing and um you know movie deal like everything that is involved in today's you know if you're an author publishing a book Mm -hmm. it just kind of gets very granular about all that within the context of this author stealing another author's work and and how messy and involved that is yeah uh like I, i throughout i was just highlighting so many things where it's like yep Yep, that's real. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just like uh even like just trying to uh highlight how pretentious Athena was, where there was a Athena uses a typewriter, no word backups, no Google Docs, no Scrivener, just scribbles in Moleskin notebooks. And it's like, yep, I know exactly that kind of person. Yeah. There were so like in college, just like the people that would like post photos of them like buying an old typewriter. It's like, okay. You're not really going to use that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, come on. Like, come on. Um, yeah, just like so many. 
And then there's the the um, like marketing side and and everything that comes along with releasing a book outside of actually writing the book. So like there's a quote here where the narrator is describing um, what kind of like literary uh, voice she wants to be known for, and she's mm-hmm. comparing it to that of Athena's the the woman whose work she stole, and she says that. Quirky, aloof, and erudite is Athena's brand, commercial and compulsively readable, yet still exquisitely literary, I've decided will be mine. So it's just like yeah. so so many things are very they, they don't seem calculated, but they are, right? It's something that a publicist or an agent always has to think about or an author themselves. Um mm-hmm. Like even when the book has been released, um, she talks about, there's another quote here, they're also investing big in bookstore placement, which means that from the day that it's out, my book will be the first thing people see when they walk into any Barnes and Noble across the country. Yep. You know, so like everything from, you know, um, website reviews to placement on the shelves, it's all, it's all dictated by factors that are usually, they usually have very little to do with the, the work itself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that 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 book placement is like such a big one because it's just down to a publisher like making deals with Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Like it has it has so little to do with the quality of the book or even necessarily how it's selling. It it has a lot to do with like volume discounts or like whether they can get uh the author in that specific store. And whether that author being in that specific store, like how many people they could actually get into the physical store for that event, because that's what the manager of that Barnes and Noble will want is a lot of bodies in the store. So they will buy shit. Right. Like that's the kind of shit that like dictates book placement. It is not even necessarily like like, you know, you'll see the stand at the first thing. It'll be like, oh, hot summer reads or whatever, you know, and it's not even that the book is necessarily selling well or that it's like critically reviewed well or is actually like something that the staff who might might or might not care about books or might just be you know a minimum wage you know clerk like is actually like curating it has nothing to do with that at all if that book is going to become a hot summer read quote unquote it's likely because it was placed on that table Mm -hmm. or shelf yeah and just like so many things like seeing the um just like name dropping like kirkus reads and um Kirkus reviews and like library journal. It's mm-hmm. like, yep. Good reads. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then of course you have the social media aspect of it, which as uh, June starts to face backlash for, you know, at first the rumors of what she's done and then the actual evidence and things spiral out of control. But like there's always, you know, the Twitter backlash, the Instagram messages. Um, it's the way that she interacts with the industry right through like you know publicists like press releases about like a movie deal or a a cover reveal or something like that like she's so fixated on social media for um you know her own self-esteem for keeping up with the industry for because like everything revolves around it right Mm -hmm. and yeah it's 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 very funny like starting at the midpoint the novel becomes more about social media than even publishing or like about much else it does because that's the that's the core of public opinion yeah it's actually even more hyper specific to just being about twitter yeah (laughs) which is funny to think about even now just like 
Does, does this the, novel that sorry to, to cut you off there, but does this novel that that came out earlier this year feel a little bit outdated already? Yeah, it, it's so wild to think about because even just last year, presumably whenever this was going through, you know, its final editorial process and when they probably had a, a publishing date for it, you know, stamped out. Right. Uh, Twitter would seem like too big to fail or too important to fail. Like as a public institution, you know, mm-hmm. and now it's a joke. Right. And so like it's it's so funny to think about like even even before where I would talk about how bad Twitter is, even before the Musk takeover and shit. And like because you, you had left like before that. Um, I left before it. I, I came back. So I was back on the platform and then Musk took over. And shortly after Musk took over, there were like his entire like security. St- and by security, I mean like, I don't know what you call it, but like the IT staff that like handles like, um, I don't know. There's just like a breakdown at the at the office yeah. and everybody was leaving. And I'm like, this platform does not even seem safe to be on anymore. Yeah. So I, I bounced um, again after that and I haven't come back since. Yeah. But but you would always say to me, it's like, yeah, I don't even know why you're still there. Sure. And it was, be- well, it's because- this is where discussions are taking place in media and as of small of a fish as I am and still am and will continue to be in my foreseeable future. It still felt necessary to be there to see these discussions taking place. And a lot of them were bullshit. A lot of them were unnecessary gossip and dogpiling and, and fighting and people having super unnecessary moralizing grandstanding, whatever. But at the same time, it still felt necessary to see what was going on. And the book does convey that. But now looking at it, it's like as the site is floundering and grasping for air like a dying fish, it seems a little silly, but it's just it's just so funny. Just the way that within the span of a year, I would say between, you know, this book being probably finalized and, you know, dated and released it like the whole second half of the book like a little bit of the gravity of this narrator spiraling is kind of lost because it's like well this is just twitter bullshit and at the same time you probably still could have made that statement and said oh well this is just twitter bullshit and there's like a couple characters that kind of do but whenever she says like no it was important to be on there it was important to be on that platform i understand that as of tiny of a, a, of a fish, I keep using fish metaphors. I don't know why. Uh, as I am, I understood that because it gave you that immediate access to see Neil Gaiman just like tweeting like regular updates at people, at readers, at whatever. It has that immediacy of reach and immediacy of access that a lot of other platforms don't. And we still don't have a replacement for it yet. And we might not. And it was just it was very good for writers in particular because it was a text based platform. So I get it completely. Yeah, but it is just very funny. It's it's funny. It's fascinating because <laughs> um, reading this book, you feel like the author R.F. Kuang has such a firm grasp on what she's doing here. 
Um, mm-hmm. She lives in this world. She knows the uh, politics and the nuances and everything that goes along with this story. Um, and it's so incredibly uh, smart about everything that it does. And at the time of its writing, it just nails the social media thing. And like you're saying, here we are, you know, a year out mm-hmm. and, and the landscape feels different. And that's not to say that's, you know, one aspect of this book. I think this book is going to unfortunately always in large part be relevant and, 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 you know, ring true with the industry as a whole and what it has to say about the industry as a whole. Um, but yeah, the Twitter thing is fascinating because it, it does, you're right. It does sort of, there's a bit of a disconnect reading it now, mm-hmm. which is no fault of the author. It's not a criticism of this book. It's just, just the context of what's happened since it's been published. Right. Right. And it, it but it just goes to show like the importance of that platform to this group in particular and how it seemed just too big to fail. Yeah, I kind of wonder. It makes me think about like this. This novel is is going to be read by people decades from now, in theory. What do those people make of these little details of the story that revolve around social media and like this this narrator um, just sitting in her apartment for weeks on end, not interacting with anybody, but absolutely losing her mind because of what's happening on social media? Yeah, a lot of it will just probably seem like relics. Mm, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the publishing stuff won't true like like talking about uh where did i just have um here's a quote they're talking about payment schedules earn out bonuses world rights versus north american rights audio rights all these things that weren't even part of the conversation for my debut sale like things like that just because of the behemoth that like large publishing is that shit is just so ingrained that's not going to change that's 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 fine um but stuff like uh was it still cool to have public beef on Twitter or was beef now reserved only for Discord? Like in 10 years, that's going to seem like quaint, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, or like uh, was WordPress better or for Squarespace for author websites? And and this is maybe a little bit unfair of me to say, but I, I feel like this is why I mainly read uh, contemporary literature. Mm-hmm. Um for one, I'm just not, I guess I just don't have the um, the mind to really dive into something like an infinite jest, for example. I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not on your level. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to stop. Um, no, but there is something to be said about reading a work within a time frame of when it was written and kind of understanding a lot of the context around it as it's most relevant. And obviously some works are timeless and a lot mm-hmm. of themes, even, you know, in this book, a lot of the themes and the, the critiques and, and you know, the major points of this book are unfortunately going to continue to remain relevant for the foreseeable future and, and have these problems have existed as long as publishing has been a thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just something that I gravitate towards. I just, I reading something in the same time that it's been written for, for some of the reasons we're talking about, you know? Um, but what did you, what do you think of like the larger themes of this book when it comes to what it has to say about white privilege and plagiarism? And cause I think this book is so effective in so many ways. One of them being you just, and, and maybe this is, is something I shouldn't, maybe this is more a reflection of, of where my mind needs to change but like she makes you sympathetic towards this this narrator who has stolen someone's work 
and is like villainizing those who are speaking out against what she's done. Um, in part because you have this sort of uh, take culture or like... I don't want to say cancel culture, but that's affiliated with like this. No, yeah, no. Primary, this novel, especially the later stages, are concerned with quote unquote cancel culture. Yeah. So when you're or like dogpiling or, yes. or online, online hate mobs, whatever you want to call it. Yes. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, cause you know, there's like death threats and, and all the usual awful mm-hmm. stuff that comes along with, with a social media hate mob that gets sent towards the narrator's way. Um, but even like, uh, Adele Spark Sato, right. The, the, um, essayist or the, the, uh, one of the figures who is most like vocally, um, outspoken against the narrator against June, you're reading it from her perspective and you're like almost villainizing this person who's completely correct about what she's saying. Yeah. Um, but I think the author here is so effective in getting you in, you know, in her frame of mind that you almost lose it, lose your your perspective a little bit because you're rooting for this person who's like profiting off of white privilege and um, making a career out of it and and lying and manipulating and which is the point. I know that's the point. Um, it's just very effective. You see, for me, like I could see what Kwong is doing here, like where there are stages where you're meant to start sympathizing with June. You're start to meant to be in her space, like you're in her head going through this with her and when she starts getting death threats and she's like sort of you know not losing her grip on well she kind of starts losing her grip on reality a little bit but um you know she starts like throwing up at the stress and all kinds of stuff like this but at every step of the way she makes her thoroughly unlikable yes that's true because she at every stage she just ramps up the racism yes that's very true and and usually every setback she has further like reaffirms in her mind that she is in the right here yeah and so she just gets more and more extreme in that conviction um so you're definitely right there's like a there's like a ebb and flow to this um at times you're sympathetic and then you kind of snap back to reality when june says something like you know um this is my book and and i more than anyone else have like authored it and I should be entitled to everything that's coming to like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, she just gets here's, delusional and like fully believing yeah, her own bullshit. Yeah. There you go. Uh, these cloud chasing white quote allies and Asian activists seeking attention who are acting up. I am not the bad guy. Mm. I am the victim here. Exactly. That's exactly it. But then she does it again in the next chapter. Yeah. (laughs) So it's very smart. It's very well written in that way where you just like sort of have to keep breaking the spell of this character that you're following. Um, But yeah, it's I don't know. It's um, it just feels like 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 here's here's just another example, because there's a a point where like um, she she starts seeing all the people that are supporting her. And they're just characterized as Trump supporters and Fox News watchers and everything else. And there's there's a quote from one of them. And so I had to explain this to you. I had to explain the libertarian guys with Asian wives thing. Yes. Um, and then we get an example uh, from the uh, there's a guy that just says, been with my Thai wife for three years now. And they still think this guy Jin can't handle it. Love to prove them wrong. And he's talking about like eating spicy food. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, but I highlighted that in particular because uh it's 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 just clear like 
racism because he says he has a Thai wife, but then uses a Japanese phrase. Mm -hmm. It's just just like, okay, man, sure. And there's the sense of entitlement, the the privilege that goes along with Mm -hmm. everything in this book, everything, every action that she takes. She gets more and more like affirmed in her mind that she deserves what she's the achievements that she's gotten off the back of her dead friends who she's stolen from. Mm hmm. Um, I, I did, I did, uh, this might derail things, but I, I did want to get your take on this quote. And I don't know if you remember this or not. Um, uh, like Taylor Swift, I had no intention of becoming a white supremacist Barbie. <laughs> I highlighted it. <laughs> <laughs> I highlighted it. Um, yeah. Did I miss this, uh, in like the, the discourse with Taylor? I honestly don't know what it's referring to. Uh, a lot of neo-Nazis uh, see Taylor Swift as like the perfect sort of like Aryan uh, like goddess. Oh, OK. Yeah. So that's what that is. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that in, in that sense, it fits with what's happening to her because she's like so um, defeated by the time that like Fox News bit comes up that she's like, yeah, even support from this group is something that she's willing to accept because it's support. Whereas everyone else is is, like vehemently against her. Right. So it's like, um, yeah, yeah, it it makes sense. Um, in that context, it's a, it's a good line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just missed that. I missed that whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as the plagiarism thing goes, the novel makes some weird equivalences. Okay. And it's it's hard to separate what is really the narrator here and what is meant to be a larger point. And so there's like frequent mentions of just like, uh, so obviously June completely stole this this work that was not hers like to take or to to rewrite or whatever you know it was just the the most clear-cut case of plagiarism there can be like there's you know that's the obvious bit but then it tries to get into this like murkier shit where it tries to equate what she did with athena taking conversations that she has had with other people and saying that that is and 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 turning those into stories and sort of equating the two together. Yes, because Athena in college, when she was friends with June, June disclosed something traumatic that happened to her, just, you know, talking between friends. And then months later finds out that her story, like beat for beat, is in uh, something that Athena wrote and got published. Um, yeah. Wh- what was that? We covered a couple of years ago. There was that like, it, it, it kind of went viral. There was that- that Cat person. Cat cat person yeah do you remember the details of that yeah so there was a story that uh went viral i I think it was the new yorker it was probably the new yorker Mm -hmm. uh it was a story about a college girl who started dating an older an older guy who was like in his mid-30s or whatever and uh he he was creepy or whatever and so she broke things off i can't remember it it was like it was like nebulous if he was like forceful or whatever i think i'm I'm misremembering the details of the story itself um but they break it off and he uh ends with like texting her bitch or whatever or like slut or you know whatever like something like that um then it comes out later that uh somebody that 
knew the writer of the story in college uh, says that the story was basically her experience Mm -hmm. in college. And so uh, a a lot of people just sort of take sides, whether it's like, was this this person's story to tell or not? Or, you know, like, but it's fictional, but it was heavily inspired by this other person's experience but the names were changed, but all this, blah, 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 back and forth, back and forth. Um, and I think it was turned into a movie starring uh, Cousin Greg. Okay. Um, I didn't realize. Yeah. Wasn't there something else about like a uh, organ donation? Organ donation. There was like a story that felt like in a similar vein. Um, maybe I'm getting my things mixed up, but like there was like, I think it ha- it was it was also in the literary landscape where an author... I don't know. The cat person one is a very good example of what uh, RF Kuang's doing here. Cause like, there's also, um, Oh, the bad art friends. Bad art I friends. I remember now. Yes. Bad art friends. Similar kind of thing. Right. Yes. Yes. Was there an organ donation yeah. or am I losing my mind? No, you're right. Yeah. Okay. I'm very fuzzy on that one. Um, but like, yeah. So like, you know, Athena's ex-boyfriend, Jeff, who plays into the narrative, especially later on, uh, he had felt like Athena was mining his emotions for, for, you know, writing ideas and things like that. Um, yeah. but yeah. And, it, and then there was also, there's also the, the part where, um, Athena went to the, I think it was the Korean war museum or something like that. Yes. And was taking notes about the experiences of individual, uh, so like Korean soldiers. And then she turned that into stories as well. And so like, it's, it, the, trying to equate that as plagiarism which it's it's not it's like it's like I, not but it's also morally questionable i don't think it is well i guess that's where the debate lies right right but so like here's the thing but, but the plagiarism that goes on is cut and dry like you said so it's not yes. a one-to-one equivalence it's more nuanced right there. it's not a one-to-one equivalence but like the way that it's drawn out to be is that it's used as ammunition, mostly by people that aren't writers. They just see, oh, you took something that like, quote unquote, wasn't yours mm-hmm. and boom, pooped out a story. So that's theft. But like that isn't really how writing operates. Like you look at Cat Person and it's a story that resonated with a lot of women because it's a story that happened to them, too. It was a very common occurrence where they uh, dated a guy. He was he turned out to be creepy. He was an older guy. He was creepy. Uh, they broke things off and then he turned around and was completely nasty to them afterwards. He wasn't really a great guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's it, it's a tale as old as time. And for someone to freak out. Because it's like, oh, my God, she like stole my life story to write the story. And like so many of the details were exactly the same. And it's like, yeah, she might have heard about this and turned it into a short story. But like that, like you, you don't have ownership on those. Like you don't have ownership on that archetype. You know what I mean? I do. So it's it's like it's like the same thing. Like you take inspiration from everything around you you take bits and pieces of conversations of of little tiny stories um like on my on my uh sticky notes on my uh laptop right now um 
You have notes about infinite chess lines that you love. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I have uh, I have a note that says because uh, like I just hear wild shit from my grandmother. Oh yeah, like when I visit, and so um, I just have a note that says TV repairman that killed himself. <laughs> oh my god i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do with that i don't know if i'll ever use it but it's like <laughs> I, I just had to write that down mm-hmm. but like i didn't experience that mm-hmm. well is that stealing is that theft i see what you're saying is that plagiarism i think in in the case of of what is going on with athena here it's that not only is she doing this she's doing it all the time she's doing it intentionally and she's doing that's it in, and she's no and she's doing it in a way that's like not taking into account the feelings of the people that are close to her. That's writing. I don't know. I think it's a little bit less. Writers, writers are assholes. Okay. Well, that's not true. I mean, it's not, no, it's not it universally is. true. That's very not no, universally true. I think you're There's projecting another- a little bit here. No, here's the thing. There's another quote in here that I had to highlight because there's, it, it feels like another weird equivalence. Um, where again the narrator is trying to like defend. No, well, I don't think this is an equivalence on the author's part, right? Because this is a narrator who is deeply problematic, and she's grasping for whatever she can to justify her actions. Right. So here's here's uh, Isaac Asimov was a serial sexual harasser. So was Harlan Ellison. David Foster Wallace uh, ah. abused, harassed, and stalked Mary Carr. Mm-hmm. They're still hailed as geniuses. Mm-hmm. And so she's basically saying she's the the line that precedes is basically like. Uh, if you're a straight white male, you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you have a higher likelihood of getting away with it completely. But the difference here, though, is that all three of those dudes are dead. She isn't. I think that's the big difference. Well, I think you have a lot less guilt reading Asimov, Ellison and David Foster Wallace than you do a contemporary author who has caused harm. I don't know if because that's the other three are fucking dead. True, though, I don't know yeah, if I agree with that because I think people were reading them as they were alive too, and that didn't really change. When they were alive, they weren't aware of the abuse, but that's a different story. Okay, that's just that's just more of a question of uh, knowledge. Most people, whenever he was, uh, again, I don't uh, this this you turn this into the David Foster Wallace defense hour, and it shouldn't be because oh, he really was a piece of shit. Be. It really but, shouldn't be. But when he was alive, most people didn't know that he uh, was a, 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 a partner abuser. Right. And I see it what you're after he was dead. saying. I don't know if the fact that he's passed really negates. It doesn't negate the harm he caused, but it means that he cannot still be successful and financially profit mm-hmm. while still going around and causing harm. Well, but That's as a as a moral reader, I don't know if it all comes down to whether the person's yeah, profiting. sure. But that's that's a person that's a personal choice. Sure, that's the difference. This is this in in this moment. This is the narrator trying to say, well, why can't she get away with it too? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, that's fundamentally wrong. She's grasping at whatever she can. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I I, I do think in the moment that has less to do with the fact that they're white men than it does the fact that. They're currently dead and are not going around. Well, I think their their reputations have upheld because they're white men. Not as much. I think I think it's widely known now that David Foster Wallace is a piece of shit. And yet, and yet, he still has a reputation of this beloved as this beloved artist. I think his work does. Mm-hmm. I think he is seen as a uh, a damaged individual. Well, another thing that this this novel really hits um, is the fact of how. 
Because like you've said, the the back half of this does focus a lot on, on social media and its, um, yeah. uh, you know, effects and, and the backlash and everything. But the but um, Kwong mentions that the social media backlash, the literary world that that this narrator is living in online is such a small fragment of the larger reading population. And so I think it it, it mentions, uh, you know, a book like American Dirt, which was very for a long time on the bestseller list. And many, many people, I'm sure, read that without knowing any of the problematic um, yes, you know stuff well, from its yeah, author. Well, that's more of a case. Well, it was it like an Oprah book club pick, or sure, something like that. Sure, but I think it's like this: this author is living in this literary bubble of 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 the industry and and her peers and and the online backlash. But then the larger world, at least for a while, until things really spiraled, was still reading her books. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So it's just very smart about perspective in that way. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think all the authors are horrible people. I don't know where you're going with that. As as a writer, you I don't mean to say that like all writers are, you know, serial abusers. That's not what I no, mean. No, I no, no. Yeah. I think you're I you're mean talking that, more of like using emotional or, or life experience in their in Yeah. Their work. You have to siphon shit around you. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of that shit is messy a lot of that shit is painful and it doesn't always it doesn't it's hard for people around you to necessarily understand whenever you repackage things or amplify the very worst parts of things here's an example uh i had to write uh i had a fiction class in college and i had to write a short story and um it had to be i couldn't do my usual horror nonsense i had to write like a very grounded short story And so I basically wrote about my time working at my uncle's sandwich shop and I amplified his worst traits about him being a clueless doofus, about him not knowing how to really run a business. Um, And so it was true to my experience and I used specific examples and specific conversations that I distinctly remember having, but I exaggerated them Mm -hmm. for dramatic and, uh, you know ironic effect and if my uncle were to read that i don't think he would appreciate it mm-hmm. right uh i i i had another short story where um a character's dad dies in a way very similar to a way my dad almost died uh and the character has to deal with all these resentments he has towards his father and just grappling with that Right. And it would be hard for my dad to read that and not think that all of it wasn't about him when it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And I think it was just using the circumstances that I had experienced. Yeah. To weave a fiction. I think both of those are really good examples of the point you're making. And I think it's fundamentally different from when Athena took this traumatic experience of sexual assaults that um, June disclosed to her and wrote a story about it. Because like that, like what you're what you're detailing are your personal, you know, experiences, feelings towards your family members and, and your own internal things. And this is just like mining someone else's trauma for your own story. 
okay, I didn't get my dad's permission to use his near-death experience for story, right? Right. That's his trauma, too. I don't know how he feels about the incident, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, if you needed a release form for every emotion that somebody experienced in order to write about it, nothing would ever get written. You know what I mean? There was a coldness, at least to the portrayal of what Athena was doing, that I don't think exists in either of your examples. There needs to be. Because you're too close to to what you were writing about, whereas Athena was not. There needs to be. Okay. It's not not quite to the level of kill your darlings, but there needs to be some kind of like surgical precision to it, right? Like, in order to make something that will that that will be worth reading it needs to appeal to other people and not i'm not talking about in a commercial sense i'm talking about on an emotional level june even admits this she says like how many other women have had this experience where they went through this and then were doubting themselves Mm -hmm. and didn't know if what had happened to them had really happened to them Mm -hmm. and that's why the story was so successful like yes, it happened it was it was based off of what happened to her, but it appealed to readers and that was the job of the writer. True. Like saying that like you have just like ownership over those emotions means that like I don't know, we're all each individual sociopaths that can't relate to one another. I don't think and, it's but that's that the job but that's, yeah. But that's the job of the writer is to connect that story, those exact emotions. She said that she like she didn't relay exactly how she felt word for word, but she relayed how she like felt on the inside. Mm-hmm. She didn't use her exact words that she told her, but she relayed how she felt on the inside mm-hmm. as if like she knew that's the job of the writer, not to just be a, a, a journalist and take down the quotes and put them in the newspaper. That's right. a different kind of writing. It is a very different kind of writing. Can I mention something that resonated with me when it comes to Athena's writing, um, even more so in terms of like the the industry as a whole, is how, you know, it was explained when it comes to Athena. She was a successful author, but she was also pigeonholed from the very start of her career. And mm-hmm. she was treated as like a token minority by these publishers. Um, there was even a quote, which I didn't, I didn't, I don't have directly in front of me, but basically saying that um, she was turned down or, or another author was turned down because they quote, already had an Asian writer uh, publishing a novel this, this season. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this, the topics that she could write about Chinese history, trauma, trauma related to Chinese history. You know what I mean? So it's like, you can yeah. only, though that's what sells to a white audience. That's what launched athena's career and she was like suffocated by it Mm -hmm. um which probably isn't the right expression to use no you know we can talk about how she actually died oh sure but not what i meant um but i think that really really nails a major problem with the industry and honestly a major reason why this book exists in the first place yeah this book meaning yellow face right no for sure it's it's uh a sad indictment, but it's a true indictment. It is. Of the industry where it's, oh, well, you know, now if you have this many writers with this many backgrounds, it's now you're suddenly, uh, uh, you know, a black imprint or, you know, uh, uh, a Latino imprint or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, well, 
no, that, that's not what that means. You're just publishing writing, right? You know, but like, it's not, that's not how it's um, spun, right? Uh, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but that's how it operates. It's, it's, it's really dumb, but it's the truth. And it's also a, a major counterpoint to what you get from June as a narrator, where she's convinced that she's the victim of uh, quote unquote reverse racism and that as a white right. person in this industry, she is now the one who lacks opportunity. Um, all the stuff that you hear from white people nowadays who have like taken an actual problem in, in the industry and turned it around to make themselves look like the victim. Right. Um, I think I think I've talked about this exact thing before. Yeah, I'm sure we have. Where it's like, I struggled to break into traditional publishing. Yeah. And I could have I could have done what June did and been like, oh, yeah, well, it's because of diversity hires. You know, I can't get in because they're taking all the jobs. It's like, well, no, that's not the case. It's just that it's ultra fucking competitive. There's not enough jobs. The way that it works is the entry level jobs don't have enough fucking pay, which this book also talks about. Not enough pay, no benefits, uh, no room for advancement. And then you're the first in, last out. Yeah, right. No, last in, first out. Scratch that, reverse it kind of thing. Uh, And so you're let go immediately. You're just all recycling the same group of people for the same, you know, jobs. Um, It has nothing to do with like, you know, (laughs) uh, affirmative action or diversity hires or anything like that. It's just... That it's a fucking brutal industry. Yeah. Which is which is why I just decided to fucking do my own shit because it was not working out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I highlighted the parts where uh, the 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 one girl is like, yeah, I applied to 20 different places and I couldn't get an email back. And I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. 20 seems fucking low. Tell me about it. Well, yeah, that actually is really low. I was like, you probably should apply to more places. But um, yeah, no, I fucking tell me about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and, and and her her mindset is just a way to justify her actions in this book. Right. Yeah. Simply. Yeah, it's, it's the yeah. easy way out. It's the easy you know, way out. Like- exactly. It's taking solace in your uh, supporters who are Fox News viewers. Right. Yeah. Getting that twisted and like so far yeah. deep into what you've done, um, which is why, yeah, you know, same thing. it's the same thing. Like whenever uh, going to school, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like minority scholarships. And it's like, well, no, it's not really happening. Like nobody, nobody can afford this shit. Mm-hmm. Like I went to the I went to the whitest of white schools. And and it's so like funny 80%. because they forget why those scholarship exists in the first place, which is to provide some sort of counteraction to the overwhelming racism in the country. Yeah. To try and give people a chance. Mm-hmm. And now that's weaponized. Even even that. Yep. So this book is very smart about all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the final few chapters and where she kind of ended the story? Because it, it's it's a difficult – I think she it's, it's self-aware in that way because – um, June is trying to write her comeback novel about that. Honestly, the synopsis sounds like what we've just read in Yellowface. It gets a little meta in that way for a bit. Yeah. Um, and she even says there, it's like hard to come up with an ending to a story yes. like this. Yes. Um, that said, I think this novel does a good job. Um, endings are tough. Endings are tough. <laughs> yeah. Endings are really hard. Um, I, it was losing me a little bit with this like sudden like horror angle. Yes, yes, it was there. Just to be fair, bit. it was there from the start, 
it was there but for it but to be the primary focus of a chapter felt a little jarring yes yeah because then you're 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 literally changing genre now uh at, at the at the 11th hour mm-hmm. and for for a uh a, a story that was so grounded although i i know what you're i agree with you although there's an argument to be made and it's right here in the acknowledgments where she says yellow face i know in large part a horror story about loneliness in a fiercely competitive industry so a lot of the grounded experiences in this novel can be viewed as horror um of course yeah no yeah the, the so much of the shit like i have so many fucking quotes yeah that literally like experiences that fucking keep me up at night uh, <laughs> there fucking, you go um hold on i have so fucking many uh no more nelnet emails for the rest of my life thank god <laughs> um uh, my mother won't care or she might only pretend to care and ask inane questions about how the list works which will feel worse um I'd feel lucky to even get a Kirkus review, and that had uh, been a little more than a plot summary. <laughs> uh, most sales happen in pre-orders. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, never pays to bully a poor editorial assistant. Mm, oh, yeah. there's That's that's hits right uh, on the nose, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Having to pay the cost of my useless English degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, publishing moves slowly in all caps. <laughs> um, yeah, like just so much shit. Um so see, we weren't transitioning the book club out of horror after all. <laughs> no, but but at the same time, for it to be like, okay, are you gonna have her fully lose her mind now? Like, what is the yeah? What's gonna be the angle here? Like, I understand bringing back the um, I guess what was she an uh, publicist assistant? She was an assistant. She was an assistant editor. I think assistant editor bringing the um. Yeah disgruntled assistant editor back from earlier on in the book makes sense yeah no that was that was fine but for it to for for like that's what i mean about like the escalation like where the racism kept escalating it's like now all of a sudden she's gonna like attack this girl Mm -hmm. i was like okay yeah it it, it got a little thriller-esque in a way that it wasn't yeah and then but I i do think it bounced back in the final chapter because Ending it on a note of optimism for June about he after even everything that's happened, she still can, you know, believes that she can find a way to navigate this industry and gets chance after chance after chance. Um, just kind of nails the whole point home here about white privilege and, and everything that's that's going on. I thought that was a good way to end it. Yes, that was like whenever it grounded it back to the industry and how she's going to formulate the next pitch for her book yes is much more effective than her being bit by this former assistant editor on the steps of, of where they shot the uh, ending of the exercise i do like that little detail though i have to say it's a good yeah. setting for that scene if you're going to have it it's very funny considering I just talked a little bit about the exorcist last week you did yes and then read the ending this week where they drop the exorcist um yeah i think i like we, we we talked a little bit about the relatability of this narrator and for me the most relatable thing was whenever she goes to visit her mom mm, mm-hmm. and her mom doesn't understand anything about the like what she does or the industry or even the medium and doesn't want and to. doesn't want to doesn't attempt to and 
uh, she wants her to become an accountant. Yeah. And June is saying in in narration that like, or I guess, no, she says it to her mom that she can't have an office job anymore. And it's like, yeah. And it's also, yeah, no, it's also, you. it's a, yeah. And it's a fascinating detail too, that um, her sister Rory is, I, I believe like an accountant or has one of those careers. Yeah. And she views, the mother views Rory as more successful, even though at that time, I think June was bringing in more money from her. She was, yeah. And which is funny though, because she knows that too, because her sister gave her mother the tax returns. That's right. There you go. So she would actually have hard proof of that. And, but it didn't matter. She still wanted her to be an accountant. Um, but it's like, yeah, no, no, no office job. No freedom. Yes. Yes. Being free. It's like, I felt, I felt seen there by this plagiarizing racist. Well, that's kind of the brilliance of this book, isn't it? Because I feel yeah. like there is, there are pieces of RF Kuang in the June character for sure. Um, there's pieces of her in Athena and there's, there's experience about, so like she, um, comes from an academic background where she, uh, studied Chinese studies, um, East Asian languages. She's obviously worked and, and is very familiar with the publishing industry. So knows mm-hmm. all the little nuances and you have the personal struggles of the characters in the book that feel very, they feel autobiographical at times. So it's yeah. just, this is just like an example of like a book that really could only be a story that could be only told by this person at this time, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is just like so cool when things come together that way. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to, uh, I'll say one more like personal thing here uh-huh. because this is like, it brings out a lot of very close. Um, so when I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer. Uh, like David and I expressed Foster as much. Wallace. Yeah. Just like him with the bandana and everything. Um, and I expressed as much to my mom and, uh, for whatever reason, and she has never quite explained why she said to me, oh, you're not going to be a writer. And... Ever since she has said that that is not what she meant and that's not what she meant to say, but she's never offered up an alternative for what she meant to say. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunately stuck with me for a very long time, as you can see by me relaying it now at 30 years old. Um, And I don't have any, you know, negative feelings about it anymore. In fact, I think it's kind of funny, uh, especially considering I've now published two of my mom's books. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that is that is a pretty good, pretty good result there. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, yeah, no, I can I, I, I get it and I can see it. Like I, I like I, I, just, I almost feel like like Dr. Manhattan or something. Oh, God. Like on Mars, Jesus you know, Christ. Okay. where I like I like can see it all. It's like, <laughs> all right. It is 2001. My mom has told me I will not be a writer. Mm-hmm. It is 2023. I have published the coloring book. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I, I just like see all these things, you know, like the photographs of the sand just up here on Mars. I'm blue and naked for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just think, I just think it's funny how shit like that works. Like, I don't know if it, it is just really like there's a part in here where I really didn't think we'd talk about this for like over an hour, but, um, there's a part in here where it's like writing is such a solitary fucking thing. And it is mostly because of the fear of having your ideas stolen. There is a, there's such a grand narcissism to writing where you go from like 
it's basically the the oh uh it's it's over and we're so back meme like that's just writing it's like oh this is fucking shit nobody's ever gonna want to read this i don't even want to fucking read this i have to throw this away i have to burn this i have to burn my eyeballs i never want to look at this again to this is the greatest thing ever written this is the greatest novel uh, and I can't show this to anybody because if, if, if they get their eyeballs on it, they're going to steal it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it just vacillates between the two over and over and over. And so writing is just this very solitary thing. And you are completely by yourself doing it. Like, yes, there are workshops. Yes, you go to classes for it, too. Like, But even at school, you know, it's like even when you have your work critiqued or whatever, it's this very solitary thing. Even in the editing process, right? Like you give your work to an editor. Say somebody gives their work to me. I give them my feedback. It's still then up to them to either take my feedback into consideration or make the changes themselves or grapple within their own head with what I've said to them. It is a very insular feeling, no matter what process, like what step in the process you're in. And it does like it like even though getting a book manufactured involves so many fucking people all the way, like even even independently publishing involves so many fucking people, even people you will never meet in your life. You will never meet the person that actually prints your book. You know, you'll never meet the person that packages the book. You will never meet any of those people. You might not even meet the person that does your cover, depending on how you get it done. Mm-hmm. Right. Like all of these all of these little factors, all these little bits and pieces. But it's still so fucking solitary because of that. And you and this novel captures, I think, a good part of that feeling. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's like, yes, you can have these writing friends and yes, you could have these groups that you belong to and, you know, network and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, online. But it's like it's it's either like a vacuum or it's all a facade or it's ends up not even being that important. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way it is. It's just this solitary act. And it's it's a fucking overdone quote that I probably plastered all over my Tumblr circa 2012. But it's a fucking Hemingway quote where he's like, all that there is to writing is just sitting at a typewriter and bleeding. Mm, mm-hmm. And that's and that that's that's what it fucking is. That is a very you're good on quote. your own. Yeah, you're you're on your own. And that's it. So I don't know. Yeah. Good book, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of wish I uh, didn't wait so long to read it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. um I just want to quickly mention, I think my, my, the most devastating, uh, scene in this whole book for me is she gets invited to an event. Um, uh, she is in, is in June and, um, it's like a reading that she does about the last front, which is about the Chinese labor camps. And she meets this old man who has been anticipating this event for weeks. He was very excited about it. And he wanted to get, get, have the opportunity to tell June how much writing this book meant to him because, um, was it his, his family member or maybe he himself was involved directly with the, the labor camps. And he was just like, so I, th- I think it was, yeah, it was either his father or his uncle or something. Yes. Like that. And so he couldn't believe that someone had. Um, you know, he was just so happy that feeling seen, feeling that this part, this untold yeah. piece of history was, uh, you know, uh, conveyed and, and turned into a bestseller and, and, um, the tremendous, tremendous guilt that June felt by that interaction that of course doesn't last all that long because she's able to spin yeah. things in her head and justify it. 
But man, if that wasn't an effective scene right there and didn't really mm-hmm. get to the heart of the uh, the problem here with ownership of a story and who should be telling what story and, and all of that. So really, really great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and RF Kuang has uh, done what I thought was impossible, which has uh, gotten me to consider reading fantasy again because I, I just want to read more of her work. So I might try the the Poppy War, mm, okay. even though I've really struggled with uh, with fantasy in the past. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do we want to pick something now for book club? Keep it going or cool off for a bit? Um, we could return to it. I was hoping maybe you had something because I thought we would alternate back and forth like this. You had the first uh-huh. pick. I had this one. But, you know, we could always we could figure it out. Yeah. Let me think of something. OK. And then I'll pick. It'll be our December and, uh, pick. No. Yeah. Who, who, who knows? No, yeah, we'll, I we'll hopefully have a quicker turnaround this time. This is, you know. Yes. But yeah, uh, in the meantime, I think we have a movie to talk about. I don't think I'll have a whole lot to say. Same. But, um, same. Uh, yes. So for this week, we watched uh, Dario, Dario Argento's Inferno, uh, which I hadn't seen before. Uh, and then you didn't remember if you'd seen it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then turns out you had seen it before. Um, with Argento, I get scenes from his movies mixed together because they're all so similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, so this is the follow-up to Suspiria, uh, and part of, uh, a loose trilogy of, uh, the three mothers, because you can't forget the three mothers. No, you, you have to know <laughs> about the three mothers. You really need to know. Um, cause yeah, cause I was looking it up a little bit afterwards. Uh, there's a whole book, you see. We, yeah, there's a whole book, a whole book called the three mothers. Uh, <laughs> but so yeah, so when... Uh, he made Suspiria. Uh, there was not a planned trilogy, uh, and so afterwards it kind of needed to be because they don't mention the three mothers in Suspiria. Uh, so this is the one where that gets introduced, and boy, do they introduce it! Oh yeah. Um, and then the third movie, which I forget the name of. Tenib- um, Tenibur. I, th- I think that's the that's the name of the mother, Tenib- right? But it's not the name of the movie. Tenib- I'll look it up. Do do do. Mother of Tears. Uh, yeah, that didn't come out until uh, 2007, actually. So quite a big gap. Um, in Italian, it was actually called The Third Mother, which I don't know if that's better or worse. Um, but yes, uh, Inferno. Uh, th- it's, a, it's a bit of an odd one. Uh, I have a question. Uh, what language did you watch it in? English. Okay. It was yeah. whatever the default was on Amazon Prime. Okay. And I know yes. that Argento has done this thing before where he will cast actors who speak different languages and then he will dub the entire movie which i think is just absolutely insane um i don't know if that's what happened here so i might be i might be misremembering but i think for suspiria uh he had all of the actor like he had actors from uh that spoke english that spoke italian that spoke german and he had all of them speak to each other in the scenes in their native language yes incredible and then and then dubbed it wherever it needed to be shown. So it had it dubbed in Italian and had it dubbed in English and presumably also in German. Um, yeah. So for this one, I was like, okay, is he going to keep doing that or what's the deal? So for my copy, I had uh, English, which was in 5.1 surround. 
And then I had Italian that was just in stereo. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, wait. So those are two different audio copies. It's not that the the English dialogue was in... Well, there is no Italian dialogue unless you're watching. I'm sorry. Continue. So It's a mess. So I was curious. I was like, well, because the opening credits, there's a lot of Italian names like that are that are in it. And I'm like, okay, what language... Like, how... What language are their lips moving in? Was what I wanted to know. <laughs> like, is this is this audio track dubbed or not? Um, and for a good bit, I couldn't tell <laughs> <laughs> because um, the 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 brother, like the main the main guy who be- well, he becomes the main guy, um, is a terrible actor. Oh yeah, full stop. And and so I thought he was being dubbed. No, in English. Because he was so bad, uh, so I tried switching back and forth, but just the audio quality of the stereo Italian was so much worse than the 5.1 English that I went back, and then I was like, oh, okay, this is actually syncing to some of the actors' uh, lip movements, <laughs> and then also I discovered that the um, the sister, or no, not the, the, the sister and the... Um, You're confusing me, because aren't the three mothers also the three sisters? Well, I guess they're sisters with each other. Yeah. yeah so I don't know who. No, but his no, uh, the main guy, his sister, okay. and then his friend yeah. from school were both. They're Italian, but they were speaking English. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I just I just left it on English after that. I was like, okay, fine. When you mention that he's a bad actor, the one scene that pops out to me is that um, when he passes out by the uh, in like the hotel, and they're like, we're gonna give him heart medicine <laughs> for his heart. And then the very next scene is he wakes up, doesn't know what happened. He asks the woman. He's like, I don't know what happened uh-huh. last night. Oh, it was your heart. We gave you heart medicine. And he's like, I don't have heart problems, but thank you. <laughs> it's just very, very. Yeah. It felt like a, um, uh, what was it? Uh, the room. It felt like that yes. level of like dialogue and, and, and execution. Like it was like a, um, what's that guy's name? I forget his name, but the, uh, the guy who did the room. It was like on that level. Yeah. And like, you know, when you watch Dario Argento, you know what you're getting. You, like, you know what his strengths are, you know, you know what he mm-hmm. does well. And he does those things well in this film when they happen. But there's a whole lot of time where he isn't uh-huh. doing those things and then everything falls apart. Uh-huh. I I think it like I get that that was the whole gimmick of like there's like two locations or whatever. Yeah. But there was really no point for there to be two locations. Oh, not at all. In this movie. Because they're really like the just the same. Part, right. It, which was confusing on its own. Yeah. Because they look the same where you're you're going back and forth between Rome and New York because they both just look like a stage. Um, Like there was not much point to that. It was just to get the brother to New York, which doesn't look like New York because it's taking place at this castle of an apartment complex. And and but more than that, the entire purpose of this movie is to just set things up to get the cool giallo, you know, over the top, bloody horror kills. Yeah. And they just spend way too much time setting those up in the most like boring ways possible. And when you do get yeah. to those moments, they're terrific. They're like unmatched, um, at least for like the era and, and the style of movie. I just think they're so good. Um, but man, is it a slog getting to them? Yeah, it's like it's like if Jigsaw from Saw, <laughs> yeah. like really walked you through each one of his traps, uh-huh. but like like as he was building it, 
Sure. Yeah. You know? that, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and then also, like, if your characters for some reason also had to walk, phys- physically spend time walking to the trap as well, like you had to get, yeah. you had to get to the destination. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Like the one that the one that sticks out to me was the one. I guess it was the sister that gets killed. Spoilers: the sister gets killed. It doesn't matter. Well, like she all, looks the well, same that's, as the that's, other one. It, it's Dario Argento, so all the women yeah. are either getting of objectified course. or killed in some horrendous way. Yes. And she is getting chased by somebody. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't think it was ever explained who was chasing her. Uh, and she's in some basement or something. And then she gets caught by the nail. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's like a guillotine above her. Mm-hmm. And it is falling down so fucking slowly (laughs) and then it stops above her neck and then the guy that's chasing her has to set it up again and then just bring it down manually yeah over and over again Mm -hmm. it's like why did it need to come down so slow i know like if like it would be wouldn't it be much more suspenseful and i don't know maybe i've just been ruined by modern horror or something if it you know slammed all the way down but it you know stopped just short of her neck and so then he had to do it manually and had to keep chopping the neck you know sure i don't know yeah um still a cool scene though once you actually get into it um yeah i think that there's like okay i don't i don't dislike this i can't say i dislike this movie because i'm about to like rattle off four different scenes that i think are tremendous so at that mm-hmm. point, I'm like, no, I can't say this is a bad movie. Um, there's just like a lot of unnecessary, uh, I guess, attempts at suspense that really don't feel like anything other than getting from point A to point B. Yeah. Um, but you have the underwater scene, which is my favorite in the movie in the beginning when she's retrieving her keys and the dead body surface. That was so good. Incredible. That was so incredible. Cool. Um, you have the cat uh, in the I lecture was like, I was like. Yeah, no, go, go ahead. Okay, well, can I talk about the underwater yes, thing for course, a second? Yes, of course. Of course. Um, so whenever she finally like gets under the water, I was like, oh, this seems like it's going to be really extended. And I'm like, wow, she could really hold her fucking breath, huh? Yeah. Because it was like five minutes at least. Yeah. Well, she came up for air once. And also it did feel like the entire scene was happening in slow motion. So I think there's that to account for as well. Although at times it feels like the movie is happening in slow motion. So yes. But like also it's like so it's like it's not quite surreal, but like, it's almost like dreamy, like yes. everything that happens. Yes. So it's like, yeah, fuck it, whatever, you know? And then anyway, go ahead. my next favorite scene is in the lecture hall with the cat. Um, yeah. Just a bit of a trip there. Holy hell. That chick. Oh my God. I know she's like as old as our moms, but at this point, but like the ca- the chick with the cat. Yeah. 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 Jesus. Yeah. She's stunning. <laughs> Yeah, like just, just unreal. She's stunning. Um, absolutely. Just the way she's staring like that. Oh I, I my think she's God. been in multiple Argento movies. Um, this, this she has a uh, a peripheral role. Oh yeah, she's just there to stare. At she's the just camera. yeah, she's just there to be unsettling. Um, I was not unsettled. I was fucking transfixed. There, that's a good word. Sure. Um, so that's like, I think the scene I associate with this movie the most, mm-hmm. um, then you have the guy who tries to, or I guess he's kind of does dispose of the, uh, litter of kittens in the river and gets eaten alive yes. by rats and then finally killed off by the hot dog vendor. I don't know what's, <laughs> I don't know what's going on or why. Like, so that's, 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 that, that was so fucking funny because as I, as soon as I see the guy running with the knife, 
life. I'm like, well, he's going to kill him. Yeah. But I just don't know why. I don't know why. I think it had to do with the eclipse. And I think the general like curse of the mothers in the general vicinity. Like you have the, the sure. smell, right? The smell, the the sweet. Oh, and I love <laughs> I love how 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 unsubtle everything is because they explain the the the, the sickly sweet smell, right? And she uses that. It's the cakes. It's the case. She uses that exact word. And then you have the other character in, I guess they were in what, Rome? Yeah. Yeah. The other character in Rome is taking a taxi to the hotel and she's like, rolls down the window. She's like, oh, it's a sickly sweet smell. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case we didn't know what she was referring to. Uh Um, Yeah. Dialogue has never been the strength for Mr. Argento. Um, so that was just wild and very good, the rat scene. And then, of course, yeah. you have the the ending with the whole place on fire and navigating with death. The actual manifestation of death was very cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the movie ends on a very, very high note, too. It's just what I described was took up maybe 15 minutes of screen time. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the rest uh-huh. of it kind of just feels like a slog. So there's there's that. Yeah. Do you, do you want to know what my favorite line in the movie is? Of course. Whenever he gets to, like, the secret lair in the basement or whatever, after he has to go through, like, the Alice in Wonderland crawl space with the cats eating the mice that don't pay attention to him for some reason, um, and he meets the dude in the wheelchair, and the dude in the wheelchair says, well, I'm sure you know who I am at this point. <laughs> and then he, and the, the stupid, terrible actor guy says, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, none of this shit matters. It's funny because like... None of this matters it, at all. Maybe that was meant for the viewer, but then I would argue that the viewer also does not know who that guy is. Right. <laughs> no, I don't know who you are. It's very good. We saw you once before. Yeah, yeah. Ah. <sighs> So I've never seen the 2007 movie. I've actually that that one I have not, I've not rounded out the trilogy. Um, yeah, I'm not going to suggest that we do either. <laughs> I heard his movies get terrible, like at the turn of the century. There, sure, I could see that. Um, yeah, I, I would argue they were getting terrible at the turn of like the midway point of this movie. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I do have to say that guy just like struggling to drown those cats was pretty effective for somebody that likes cats oh super effective um there are people there's some there's someone i know who this immediately would disqualify uh me suggesting this movie to them so that that's Mm -hmm. one of those things where it's like that can fuck you up um yeah so that's the other thing i want to mention the sound of the kittens in the bag yes very very effective um the audio in general apart from the dialogue was very good like it's a great score i mean when that when that song kicks in as the place is burning down at the end fantastic Mm -hmm. i was falling asleep that woke me up um nope just same very very good very good um Mm -hmm. so you know i'm conflicted with this i'm conflicted with argento in general sure um if you can like find a compilation of the scenes i mentioned (laughs) maybe watch that instead of the actual whole movie but Another good one is whenever the guy in the crutches is getting attacked. This is before he tries to drown them, but he's getting attacked by the cats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cats. And it literally just looks like they're. Yeah. It literally looks like a couple people off screen are throwing like real cats at him. (laughs) Like they're they're obviously like puppets or, you know, stuffed or whatever, but they look convincing. And well, maybe they're real cats, 
But yeah, they just look like they're just real cats getting hucked at this guy on crutches, um, which was fun. The drowning was not as fun, but then he gets eaten and he just keeps screaming, they're eating me alive. They're eating me alive. (laughs) Very (laughs) self-aware, which I appreciate. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I just... I just I just love how stupid the brother was mm-hmm. where he just like thinks that his sister is just like out, you know, and wasn't like killed. It's so it's so funny because like, you know, there's five minutes left in this movie. He's faced with death itself, meaning like one of the mothers or, or whatever, however you want to explain it. And he's yeah. still like, hey, where's my sister at? <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because wasn't she like embodying his sister or whatever? Um, All those brunettes look the same. That's another. I remember the first time I watched this, um, the two location thing was the first thing that threw me off. And then some of the actors look very similar. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, what is I, I can't I don't I can't and I don't want to keep track of what's happening here. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that guy that was just hanging out reading the magazine back in Rome when the, the girl, the, the, the other girl is like, oh, I don't want to be alone. Oh, yeah. He's like, sure. I got he's like, I got a couple hours to kill. That's exactly what he says. And so he just hangs out and reads a magazine and he's like, I'm a sports writer. (laughs) It's like in Rome. Like, okay, it's a big big soccer town. Big, big soccer. I know. But like, I think you'd say you're a soccer writer, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess it maybe it's implied. I guess so. He's like, I'm a sports writer. Also, everyone's speaking English, so. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And that could have been New York. I don't even know. No, that was. I, think I know that was it was the Rome. Rome, but it might as well have been New York. Yeah, yeah. Geez. And what was with the what was with the dude making all that like goop at the bottom of the library? Um, was he different from the one who was wearing the black gloves that was snatching up all the books? I don't think so. But then, how do you get to New York? Yeah, that's right. He was in two places at once. Yeah. Which made the two places feel the same even more. Yeah. So, but I'm not really going to get bogged down by uh, Argento's uh, logistics of everything here. Yeah. Because you really could tear into it. But It's just just so funny because like some of the sets were very, very cool. Oh, yeah. But then it's like, well, why did you need to separate the fictional locations? He knows the the visual aesthetic of taking a taxi at night in the pouring rain to an intimidating location. Because he reused it between that and Suspiria. I think he used it maybe four times. Right. Um, But it's The outside of this building might as well have been the Suspiria building. Yeah. Which I think is kind of the point, right? Because it's it's related. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Um, Haven't you read The Three Mothers? Don't you understand? uh, Yeah, yeah, I got a Lacrimosa and uh, Suspiriorum and uh, the other one. That's right. (laughs) Um, The other one. Uh, And like... He, he's just so good at color, though. That's what I mean. Yeah, the, there's like neon just, in drenched in the rain, and it's not even. Yeah, it's not even quite neon though, because like even like in that basement scene, you know, there's just like these these purples and blues. Mm-hmm. It's just, just it's, like it's, cast. It's, it's the coloring and it's the lighting too. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. It's like this is so, the lighting is so specific, and like the way you would need to cast this light and shadows is so fucking meticulous. Yeah, and it's like it's evoking darkness without being like fucking dark mm-hmm. it's 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 so cool and i think that's one of the main reasons why he is why people still watch his movies and why he has such a reputation yeah. you know and you just have this weirdo synth going on in the back <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't quite the proggy shit from suspiria you know but uh yeah just like this weirdo synth but sometimes it's like doing that classical shit because they were studying classical music that's right but then it just goes like off the fucking wall, you know, 1980 synth. Yeah. But you could easily cut like 
at least 40 minutes from it. At least. <laughs> it could have, yeah, it could have been like a Twilight Zone episode. It like really it. could have. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so next week is Thirst, right? Yes, Thirst from Park Chan Wook. Uh, that should be pretty good. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'd imagine. Yeah. And uh, I will try to get that out. Uh, I try to get out episodes on Wednesdays. Uh, if you didn't realize my schedule by now um but i will try to get that uh for halloween which is uh on a tuesday this year oh excellent just so we can keep some uh you know thematic energy going uh so yeah that's what i'll attempt to do perfect Um, yeah so we'll do that uh and i think that's gonna do it for us because we somehow managed to do over two hours again yeah (laughs) <laughs> what a shocker felt like i was walking um, through yeah. a long uh corridor in a hotel <laughs> it's in rome it's a long hallway yeah yeah uh yeah so thank you for listening really do appreciate it uh if you have any thoughts about Yellowface, if you read along with us for some reason <laughs> and you waited you waited this long <laughs> uh if you read if the you, book uh, three months ago and still remember it yes let us know or or if you got some thoughts about dario argento or about red flag anime, all of the topics we discussed today. Yeah, I'd be curious for some more opinions on that one. Because yeah. it's not looking great for you. Okay, all right. Well, regardless, uh, video at denro.co. Uh, you can write in, let us know. You can stay anonymous if you if you wish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Confidential sources. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. Uh, check out the YouTube for full clips, uh, episode or segment breakdowns, all that good stuff. Check out the publishing site. Uh, we got some bundle deals now. You can get some plushies. Plushies are very cool. They're, they're actually really soft. They're very good, high-quality plushies, I will have to say. Um, and check out the coloring books there. They're all, also very good. I worked out the beef I had with my printer. It only took three weeks. Yay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was tearing my hair out. Um, yes. Uh, more news on that stuff coming. Oh, I gotta redo all my websites now. That's gonna be... I got a hell week coming up, but um, yeah, check out check out the publishing site, publishing.denero.co for bundle deals, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, yeah, appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next week. All right.